up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how are you doing today? What is going on, Zach? What is going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Now, guys, Anthony had the pleasure of sitting down with a fantastic guest and talking of 49ers football. Anthony, go ahead and share with our listeners who you sat down with this week. I got to listen to the former Niners digital content editor, Taylor Price. This guy, once you listen to it, was arguably the most chill and relaxing interview I've ever conducted. I've never had any problems conducting interviews in my lifetime, but something about Taylor Price is just like, man, it, it feels like I'm talking to a really close friend. And that's just the kind of guy Taylor Price comes off as. So give it a listen, guys. I can't wait for you guys to just listen to what we had to talk about. And it's almost like a conversation that you can just get involved with and kind of just talk to yourself about. So here it is, guys. Enjoy my great interview with the one and only Taylor Price. What is going on, 49ers faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another interview edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. I'm joined by one of the best Niners digital creators in a long time, and the former Niners digital creator is Taylor Price. Taylor, how are you doing? Wow, I got to give you a check for that. That was a very, very kind words. I am glad to join you, talk ball. I, you know, I love this stuff, and it never leaves you, so I'm happy to talk about football. Yeah, football definitely has been a really trendy topic with the, you know, with the season starting in a week or so. And even aside from COVID, it's just people are really excited to get back into the swing of things with sports. I mean, baseball is underway, basketball playoffs are kicking, NHL is going on. And finally, arguably the biggest sport of all the major sports, football, is making its comeback. And it seems like it's very strong and a lot of teams are taking proper precautions when it comes to COVID. And I'm actually surprised that out of all the reported cases, there haven't been that many so far. Yeah, I think the the league and the teams have been really focused on doing the right things and making sure that the players are set up for success, that they can focus and train. And there's a lot of trust and accountability. And you have teams like the Niners that are very focused on a goal, the revenge tour. So they definitely are taking themselves very cautiously and carefully when they're going about their business outside of the facility. It's tough, though, because as much as we love football, you want them to be safe. It's a very physical, demanding sport, and you're watching hard knocks. You're seeing all the precautions that the Chargers and the Rams are having to go through just to get on the practice field, and the Niners are doing the same thing. We're not seeing it every single day, but the aspect of trying to be healthy and be safe, you want the best for these guys. Knowing that the NBA has done all the great work at the bubble, there's no cautious uh, issues of COVID going on with the basketball players. It's been fun to watch the game because you know they're safe. With football, it's going to be tough because you know they're subjecting themselves to travel and different things like MLB is right now. And fingers crossed that there is no outbreaks, no teams have to miss games, no players have to miss games. You have to be cautiously optimistic and, and selfishly we're excited for the entertainment that football brings us. But again, the last thing you want is Fred Warner or anybody else on the team to have to go through something that's life-changing or could put anyone in their family at risk. You know what I want to take away from what you just said is the key word selfishly. It's not to say that we're selfish as people, but we've been dying to see any kind of sports and specifically football with its popularity and, you know, how fun it is to watch. And what people seem to forget is these guys' safety. You know, they have families, they have kids, and they have a job to do too. And that's, you know, to provide entertainment for us. And the risk now with COVID is high more than ever. And like you said, they're doing a really good job with basketball. And, you know, that's five on five. And these guys are still contacting each other, sweating, things of that nature. And now we get on the football field where just up in the trenches, it's four on four, five on five, where offensive linemen and D linemen are just contacting all the time. And that alone is way more than basketball, in my opinion. And now on top of that, you have 11 on 11s with football. So the risk is even higher. So it's definitely a big thing going on. But nonetheless, man, I am very excited for the football season to start. Every team is taking proper precautions. It seems like everyone is doing the right thing. And that's not something we would necessarily hear from the NFL every so often is that the right thing is being done. So I got to give everyone around the league props for handling COVID for handling all the safety precautions. And like you said, on hard knocks too, those guys want to get out and practice and play. And the amount of pro the amount of precautions has to be in some sense frustrating for the guys who just want to go out there and play. But at the same time, they have to be safe in that regard. So Taylor, let's get underway. 
We got Niners football coming up on the 13th, opening against the Arizona Cardinals. The Niners have a lot of expectations riding on them this season with all the key roster moves they made, trades, things of that nature. So right now where it stands, what are your expectations with the team? Yeah, I still think they're going to be one of the elites in the NFC and be in position to make a run at the Super Bowl. Most teams that lose in the Super Bowl have a hangover. They don't get back. They don't make the playoffs at all. And the way they've retooled this roster, they lost Buckner, which is really a bummer. He's such a great guy and a force up front, really slept on, allowed Eric Armstead to shine, gets the one-on-one matchups. It's going to be tough to replace him. A lot of pressure on Kinlaw to come in and really step up from day one. But I think the overall roster, getting Trent Williams at the prime of his career, this like really nice piece that they have at left tackle to fill in for Joe Staley, a stalwart on the offensive line, they couldn't have had a better replacement lined up for him. And the fact that they're able to do that while keeping the core roster intact, you got Kittle re-signed, you have a hungry, motivated bunch that they're still ascending. They're not older veteran players that are going to have to retire soon or or really just kind of on the twilight ends of their career. There's still a lot of players with great upside, Warner being one of them. Raheem Moster got paid. He's going to be on the up and up this year. I'm really excited to watch the development of this roster, and I think they're going to be in the mix. Now, certainly Seattle, those matchups are, are just like nuclear wars when you go up into Seattle or you have them here. I think the matchups, though, without the fans, might slide into the Niners' favor. You don't have the the tough games against New Orleans or other teams where you have to face that road environment where everybody's against you. I always talked about it as a prison or a bank heist. You're going in, you're you're taking the money out of the bank, and you need to get on the plane and get out of there. And the road games don't seem to be as hard as they were. So I would assume the Niners, given the the value that they have of these draft picks with Kinlaw and Ayuk, um, Kyle Shannon can scheme things up. They're going to get people in position to uh, exploit matchups. I love their coaching staff. They're, they're relatively healthy, some hamstrings and things happening right now, but nothing that's catastrophic. And that's a nice thing of not having preseason games. You're not exposed to more injuries and things. So uh, I like where this team is headed. I think obviously they have to prove it again. It's You're not going to be given anything because you were the team of the year last year in the NFC. They're definitely going to have to earn it every single week. But so far, they're still in position. They're in the driver's seat, and people need to go knock off the Niners to get into the Super Bowl, not the other way around. They are still the reigning kings of the NFC. Even if they lost the Super Bowl, that's a matter of fact. And, yeah, crowd definitely will play a role. It feels like going at going to Levi's games, I mean, it, it was loud for me when I would go there, but that type of loudness doesn't compare to New Orleans or Seattle or eventually Kansas City. So the environment, I do agree, will will play a big factor. And overall, you got to figure that the team, it feels like some people are saying that their Super Bowl window is closing. I want to get your thoughts on this, but maybe this is the last really good year they'll have just because of the expiring contracts, the question marks at positions like cornerback and how will the wide receiver room look and Jimmy Garoppolo will be a new, will be a dual contract eventually and salary cap and things of that nature. But you look at the team itself, you see, okay, well, a lot of the contracts they have are veteran guys. And you got to figure that with how good this front office is with Len Shanahan and even Parag, they can rebuild a team from scratch. And they got a lot out of there. So this is an example I want to use and, and change it a little bit. When Nick Mullins was a starter after Garoppolo got hurt, we saw how many of those one-point games the team lost. And we saw how close those games were. But you flip the script. The Niners are arguably a playoff team if they win those one-point and two-point games. And they were doing that with guys who – Quite frankly, half of them were fringe roster players at the time, and we didn't know what we were going to get out of them. And yet Shanahan is doing everything he can. Him and Salah are doing a fantastic job with Mullins and half the backups. And you look at what they did with the complete team now, you got to figure that the Super Bowl window won't necessarily be closing. It's just these guys will have other needs to address, but with how good the front office is and how successful they are, they can do that. So I got to figure with and I got to ask you, with the expiring contracts coming up to some key players like Sherman and, and Trent Williams and honestly half the cornerback room, do you feel like that this team can can really address not a full-on rebuild, but kind of like a reset coming after this season? Yeah, I mean, if you look at any team that might be considered a dynasty or a perennial contender, what's the commonality? It's quarterback play. And we haven't said his name yet, but James Garoppolo is – if he's the guy, he's not owed any money next year. They can definitely part ways with him, which is an, like kind of an ugly secret of this year. People aren't really talking about it too much. 
assuming he's takes another step fully healthy after his first full year playing all 16 games and getting him into the Super Bowl, all of that rebuild or all of that stability within the franchise really rests on his shoulders. As much as we love Kyle Shannon and John Lynch and their ability to find talent and scheme up and, and really get the right pieces alongside, they're only going to go as far as Garoppolo will take them. And the steps that he took last year, the, the throws that he made or didn't make maybe in the Vikings game or the Packers game where they didn't have to throw it as much. But in the Super Bowl, um, there was some moments there where you, you saw a quarterback who could play in that in that arena. Certainly would like to have that throwback to Sanders and, and whatnot. But this is a player I think that the Niners' future really depends on. And this year, his performance will play a long factor. And if they are able to get back into the playoffs, if they're able to withstand, withstand any departures or, or expiring contracts. So, you know, same story, different year. It's all about quarterback play. And Garoppolo, people are sleeping on him at, at a league level, but he's going to have to really carry this offense. If you look at the wide receiver talent, it's subpar, kind of underrated, and hopefully Kittle. And I'm really excited about uh, a read at tight end. I think that's a nice pairing in the slot and Trent Taylor coming back. So there's some nice options there. It's not necessarily your – number one Odell Beckham wide receiver group, but um, Garoppolo is going to be the the factor that allows them to be relevant for a long time. And if it's not him, he's not the guy. Kyle and them have to find their, their franchise quarterback because the stability of the franchise is really tied to the quarterback. If you look at Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh or Brady in New England, now with Tampa Bay, these franchises that are always in the mix, it's because they have the signal caller that's calling all the shots and making the team work. You definitely don't see quarterbacks who win Super Bowls and go one and done these days. Like like you said, Ben Roethlisberger in his prime was insane with Pittsburgh and Tom Brady. And I honestly can't think of any quarterbacks who went one and done in the Super Bowl outside of maybe Joe Flacco and Matt Hasselbeck in the early 2000s, if I'm correct. So it definitely takes a perennial contender and that the guy. Garoppolo has to be the guy if he wants to carry the team forward. And yeah, you're right. It is an ugly secret that they can let him go after this season and not lose anything. And you can only take Kyle Shanahan's offensive game planning so far as to let's see how Jimmy Garoppolo can do where, like you said, Garoppolo in the Super Bowl looked like he, he absolutely looked like he could be that guy for the Niners for the next five or six years. And then Albeit a questionable hit where people were saying, oh, maybe he's concussed. Who knows? His head got rocked on that Sanders, you know, throw it, it, whatever. But the point being is that he missed that throw. And you see that and it's like, man, it could have gone a bunch of different directions. And obviously the opinions on Garoppolo would have changed moving forward. But like you said, it, it kind of it falls on the quarterback at the end of the day, regardless of who's calling plays. And even the best signal callers will struggle. And look at Andy Reid. Andy Reid made the best of any type of situation he had with any quarterback. And now he finally gets his big guy in Mahomes and the world's on fire. But I, I got to ask you, though. So you brought up injuries a little bit. Kittle kind of has a small knack of injury history. Debo has the foot issue right now, and even though he's working himself back, same with Trent Taylor. Ayuk had that small hamstring, if I'm not mistaken. Do you kind of feel like with the with the ticky-tack injuries going on this year that the offense can, can almost feel boom or bust, or do you think that Shanahan can get that same kind of production he did last season? Yeah, I think to me the, the piece of the offense that really I'm, I'm most interested in is the interior of the offensive line. So you're – unsure of who's at center, who's at guard. You have some stalwarts with uh, Tomlinson and, and, and uh, Williams there. So you have people that you know can play. But to me, it's that interior of the offensive line, can they can they rely on the run game? Because Garoppolo pretty much throws 200, 250 yards per game. He's not throwing for 300, 400 plus. They're not that type of offense. They're really grounded in in Mostert and Coleman and, and whoever they're going to have as that third option. If Jet McKinnon hopefully can get on the field and be a factor this year, that I would love nothing more than to see that. But the offensive stability really relies on the run game. And so they might be able to withstand some injuries and slug it out with their defense and the run game and allow some of these nicks and bruises, these hamstring strains, sort themselves out early in the first few months. What you're really seeing is the lack of mini camps, OTAs, you're going from zero to 100 real quick, and you're going to have some leg injuries and things because the team, as much as you want to work out on your own and do your your quarantine uh, home workouts, it's nothing can get you prepared for the grind of training camp preseason and these real NFL games that are coming up. So I think a lot of teams are starting to see this, some nicks and bruises along the way. 
Um, but for, for the Niners, their core formula is beat people up on defense and win in the trenches in the run game and then allow open things up over the top with Kittle and company. So to me, that's what I'm looking at is that interior offensive line with Garland at center. Uh, I couldn't even tell you who the other guard is right now. Like It's anonymous for me. I'm, I'm not the hardcore Niner that I used to be, but I know that there's question marks in the interior offensive line. Their tackles seem to be pretty solid, McGlinchey and Williams. Yeah, can they hold the trenches down like they did last year and allow Mostert and company to run through those wide open lanes? Outside the quarterback, you get the feeling that the next most important thing when it comes to any football team is the offensive line because you can have average show at quarterback, but if below average offensive line isn't protecting him, then it's kind of a lost cause. And yeah, the interior is huge. You got Garland at center, but they've been working other guys at center too because he's hurt. And then it feels like there's always ticky-tack injuries going on. And like you said, a lot of that has to do with the mini camp and, you know, guys not getting the work in. And it, you kind of get the feeling, too, that that'll apply to the rookies. And that's why it was a shock to me when Shanahan earlier in the month was saying that Ayuk was coming along very quickly and he was adapting to the playbook really well. And this was without any of the main training camps going on and really any of the big practices. And we hear, we've heard in the past that for rookies, and Debo Samuel has said this, that it's not easy to catch on to Shanahan's playbook right away just because it's so damn complicated. And that's a really good thing, though. That shows you how smart Shanahan is. But for someone like Ayuk to come along and get this playbook rather quickly, it, it shows a lot about his work ethic and his mentality. So I got to ask you, and it, it doesn't have to be Ayuk, but I want to hear your question. I had predicted that Raheem Mostert was going to be my breakout player for the Niners this year with, you know, a nice contract under his belt. He's all bulked up. Who do you think is going to have that that big it season, like that wow season for the Niners this year? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd love to say, Brand Ayuk, because I'm a proud Sun Devil. Uh -uh. Gang, gang. Um, I don't know if it's him just yet. The reason being, every team gets the, a stud first-round wide receiver come in, get 1,000 yards, and go to the Pro Bowl, but the Niners. For whatever reason, you know, we, we had Crabtree and the holdout and all that, but we've never really hit on a first-round wide receiver since, like, T.O. So I would love for Brandon Ayuk to break the mold and be that guy for us, but I, I don't know just yet. So for me, I'm really fascinated by Jordan Reed, just watching him run routes on the footage I've seen. I know it's going to compete with Kittle and Kittle's targets and touches, but Reed to me feels like a, a real X factor on this squad and can win his matchups and have and create some opp mismatch opportunities. If Jamal Adams is shadowing George Kittle all over the field, who's shadowing Jordan Reed? So um, that to me is a, another red zone target, another difference maker on third down. Uh, um, as long as he stays healthy, no concussion problems. That, to me, is the guy that I'm really excited about watching this year. And given how Kyle's been great with tight ends, and, and it's unfortunate for Ross Dwelly and, and maybe some of the other pass catchers like Trent Taylor, but Jordan Reed is going to win his matchups, and he was highly productive with uh, Washington back in the day. So assuming, uh, for me, that's my under-the-radar X factor. I think he's a real great chess piece. This offense has not really had multiple tight ends to this caliber ever before. And just imagine what Kyle can do with these elite players at his disposal. Kyle Shanahan never had a Vernon Davis and Delaney Walker duo like Harbaugh did when they were in their prime. And we got to see that kind of greatness. And since Shanahan came in, like you said, we haven't really seen, you know, solid two tight end sets outside of George Kittle and and maybe Garrett Selleck. And that was like a one in a million. So when you have someone like Shanahan and other players saying that Jordan Reed is the best route running tight end we've ever seen, Kyle Shanahan's offense is solely predicated off good route runners and people who can find soft spots and zones. And if Jordan Reed has that capability, barring any health issues, this offense could be taken to even higher than how it was last season. That's just the passing game alone. So kind of switching subjects a little bit, I kind of feel like not that many people are talking about this, but Javon Kinlaw, you know, he got drafted in the middle round and we had to trade Buckner to get the pick and get Kinlaw. Obviously, it's kind of a stretch to compare Kinlaw's pick to Solomon Thomas, where Thomas was the third overall pick, or excuse me, yeah, third overall pick. But with the word that Kinlaw has been kind of struggling in camp this year, because he really only has one pass rush move, the bull rush, do you feel like that Kinlaw is going to kind of garner the starting reps right away because he's a first-round pick, or do you think he's solely just kind of going to fit into the rotation to start with? 
Yeah, it's tough because certainly if you you draft C.V. Lamb or, or Judy or one of these wide receivers there at 13, the Niners have a face or recognizable player that they can see production from. And a defensive tackle, it's really hard to get the glory. You might just be commanding two blockers so that the person next to you can make the play or you you are getting a tackle for loss or a tackle for two-yard gain and that doesn't really stand out on a stat sheet that you stuffed the run and you made a, a tackle for a minimal gain so he's at a disadvantage based on the position itself it's really hard to stand out as an interior defense alignment unless you're Aaron Donald DeForest Buckner or Armstead who makes a lot of plays on the outside too so my expectation is that Kinlaw is gonna probably un- underwhelm just given that most defensive tackles don't get a lot of headlines, don't stand out, don't have a signature sack dance, you know, aren't he's not outspoken. He's a pretty quiet guy based on what you've seen in the media. The fact the best thing for him is to be humble, work hard, get with his defensive line coaches, pick up tips from Bosa and Armstead and just work on his craft. I don't think anyone's coming in and expecting him to have double digit sacks and really just be the most unblockable person of all time. Now, it would be great if he could do that, but I think it's going to be a learning progress and, and process for him as he steps into the this position of, you know, first round pick, a lot of pressure, a lot of attention to fulfill that. To me, I just think defense alignment, unless you're in the top 10, it's really hard to, to make a be famous or be a real standout player. So well, I'm hopeful and optimistic that he can contribute and learn, but I don't think without that training camp, without that uh, OTAs where you're learning your technique or working on counter pass rush moves, you're going to have to see that development happen later into the year like you would have saw it if it had training camp, a full training camp, preseason games to work on his reps against other teams, um, you know, practices with other teams, things like that. So probably a little bit more delayed in his development where a wide receiver can run routes all day and play catch and really and really shine. So some of those trench warfare techniques, uh, you might not see him develop as fast as a wide receiver who gets to work on his craft much more regularly. So with that being said, in regard to Kinlaw, do you feel like that his his season won't be just predicated off sack totals? Because a lot of people are like, well, if he's a first-round pick and he's already on a good D-line. If he doesn't get five, six, seven sacks, he's not working out already. And I've seen that on Twitter, and I can't believe it. But, you know, that's social media. So you got to figure, do you think that his his success this season will be more about his development into becoming a D-tackle? Or do you think the expectations of him just putting up those stats that everyone sees is more important? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's getting in the starting lineup, being healthy on the field, 16 games, 16 starts. Um, certainly, you don't want to be on the field for 16 games and have no, no stats to show for it. But a big part of earning it as a first-round pick is being counted on and being in the starting lineup and being your, your, your snap count, being on the field 70% or on base downs or whatever that is. So if he's not cracking the first team reps or he's struggling to get on the field, that's when you start to get in the Solomon Thomas territory of he's not even good enough to run with the ones. He's And he's not even staying on the field. And when he's on the field, he's not producing. So first uh, stage of Kinlaw's career is can you stay on the field with the ones, hold down that position, and then go from there in terms of development of stats, stacks, sacks, et cetera. I think right now there's a lot of pressure on him, but the first thing he needs to do is earn his way into that first team unit. This isn't a defense that was, you know, seven and nine or out of the playoffs. This is a Super Bowl level defense. So the fact that he's even able to be a starter on that defense is an accomplishment in itself, and we got to recognize that. But once you are part of that first huddle that breaks on, uh, you know, September thirteenth against Arizona, you got to come to play and, and produce. Otherwise, they're going to take you out and put in Ronald Blair or somebody else on that defense line to, to fill in for you. So. Step one, get get those reps. Step two, uh, start to get that production and get that experience. But he has to earn it first. And what you said about the Cardinals actually kind of leads me into my last big question before I get into the most important question at the very end. So we obviously saw the Niners and Seahawks in their heyday. That was one of the biggest rivalries all around football. After watching them play the Cardinals last season, and yeah, the Niners beat the Cardinals both times, but man, the Cardinals were stingy. Both games at some points felt really a lot closer than they should have with the development of the Cardinals making very good roster moves like going after Hopkins and drafting Isaiah Simmons and the development of Kyler Murray. Do you kind of feel like that the Cardinals and Niners could 
could be that next big rivalry in the NFC with Seattle's eventual downfall coming, or do you feel like it's going to be another big game? As much as I'd love to agree with you on Seattle's downfall, they, they're retooling every year, and Russell Wilson's not not going anywhere. He's still in the prime of his career, so I don't want to sleep on them. Maybe the Rams might step back this year, um, You know, watching them in hard knocks. They don't have a ton of weapons on offense like they used to. But, yeah, I think Arizona's on the come up, no doubt about that. And what the issue is for the Niners in week one is is Kyler Murray. He was pretty special against them at home last year. The road game was a little earlier um, – Maybe it wasn't as fully developed then, but he's definitely come a long way. And I can imagine with Hopkins, he's got someone he can just throw 50-50 balls up to and, and can definitely make plays. The Niners cornerbacks are pretty pretty suspect, in my opinion. Sherman is is a solid player, but we saw in the Super Bowl, you can get behind him down the field. So um, speed is, is definitely a threat against this Niners team, especially at quarterback. If you look at the quarterbacks that gave them fits, it was Murray. It was Mahomes. It was guys who can get outside the pocket and that weren't statues. If you stand in the pocket all day, Bosa will crash in and bring you down. But if you can get around the edge and make plays on the run, that's going to extend the play and force this defense to cover longer than they want to. And so that, to me, is a real key for that matchup against Murray is can they contain him and keep him in the pocket? From there, he's a little bit undersized. He might not have the ability to throw over the top of the line. Uh, but if he gets on the outside and can run and make plays with his legs, that's a you know tougher task for the the, the linebackers and the safeties like uh, Tart and Ward. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great rivalry. It's always excited to see the Niners best on best. You don't want to see them go up against backup quarterbacks or or slugs. It makes the games much more fascinating when you have like real competition every week in the division. Taylor. That was a perfect answer. Thank you so much for your time regarding this interview. And I got the last biggest question for you before I before I hand you off. If you were to get in a full a full football field sprint with with any of the offensive linemen, let's say, oh, okay, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you Trent Williams. If you had to do a full football field sprint with Trent Williams to see who gets there first, who's winning? Hmm. I thought for a second you were going to say fit Joe Staley because Joe has lost about 50 plus pounds already in like a day. So if it's fit Joe Staley, I have no chance. Trent Williams, though, is huge, but also I don't know his 40 time, but I'm assuming it's probably five or, or about 5.0, if not four nine. That guy, that cat is an elite athlete. So I would give him the nod. Selfishly, though, I've been I've been more active and running and working out during this quarantine because there's nothing else to do. So I, I don't think I'm going to get smoked. I think it'll be competitive. Maybe me at the Niners when I was eating all that junk food that they were serving the players, I probably wouldn't been able to run as fast. But, hey, if Brent Williams wants to line up, like, let's do this. I'm down anytime. <laughs> Does that mean you're ready for a team tryout? Yeah. I mean, I'm, get, I'm getting right. So, you know, if, if, if they need, a, you know, a, a third, fourth string – goal line, H-back, Kyle check. put me on the outside, let me just run like one out route. I can do that. <laughs> Taylor, let us know where we can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm still holding it down at Taylor Price, and I got my podcast, Taylor Price Talk, every once in a while. Get on there, talk Niners, talk sports, uh, anything that interests me. So appreciate everyone that's still following along after my 49ers media career wrapped up. Taylor, thank you so much for your time. This was a fantastic interview. And, hey, we'll get back to you again once the Niners season kicks off because we'll have even more to talk about compared to now, man. Football is just right around the corner, and I honestly can't wait. Yeah, absolutely appreciate it. Thanks, Taylor. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as we did. Taylor was a fantastic guest. Anthony killed that interview. Great job, Anthony. Um, now we are going to transition into our normal RGS podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking some 49ers roster looking forward ahead to week one a little bit because we still have to record our preview episode and we're going to answer some mailbag questions. So without further ado, here is the podcast portion. Man, the 53 man roster is set. We're eyeing Niners football for the first time in months and what's felt like an even longer offseason covid and all the procedures and even though preseason games too and what's kind of crazy is that not that many people like the preseason games to begin with but after having a whole offseason and preseason of uh no preseason games if you will it's actually kind of sucked i'm not gonna lie man and it's really nice to have football back we finally got it on our eye on the uh, horizon if you will and 
it's really exciting, man. It is really an exciting time to be not just a fan of the Niners, but just a fan of football in general because you kind of realize that you take some things for granted and a lot of these guys are going out there, not risking their lives, but risking their own health, if you will, to, you know, provide good entertainment and good sports for us. And I just can't tell you how excited I am. Man. We finally get Niners football nonetheless, and and it's hell of a time to be a sports fan and a football fan, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it's funny because with the preseason, it's like all off season. I am waiting for the first weeks of August, uh, the, those first preseason games, usually against the Broncos or the Chargers, something like that. But by the time week three passes, preseason week three, I'm like, man, I don't even want to watch week four. Just take me to kickoff. <laughs> so it's funny how this year it's like completely different. I'm just like, oh my God, I would kill for a preseason game full of guys that I have no idea who they are. Um, but I guess that's just 2020 for you. Everything's different. Nothing's normal anymore. Um, but let's go ahead and get into this podcast. Uh, we got some topics we're going to talk about. And first thing, Anthony, I want to ask you about the 49ers 53-man roster. Technically, it's the 52-man roster because they're saving the spot for Fred Warner. Um, do you feel the team left any players off that you wanted to see make the final roster? After the tumultuous offseason the team had, and quite frankly, this preseason that's been going on so far, I think I'm relatively happy with the 53-man roster, man. It's, uh, they didn't make too many surprising moves when it comes to the 53, but obviously we'll go more in depth than that later on in this episode. But I think I'm pretty happy. I kind of wished I wanted to see um, uh, Jawan Jennings. I had a lot of expectation and hype for him, to be honest, going into this preseason. And yeah, obviously he couldn't show himself in any games. But based off the reports of camp saying that he wasn't ready, he was struggling to adapt to the offense and just kind of show off his skill set. It make, and obviously makes sense that he didn't make the 53. But I guess that's a little upsetting, at least for me, he has a lot of great tangibles they showed in college, and you want to see that translate into the NFL, but when you're going into Kyle Shanahan's offense, that is clearly not easy. But as for anyone else being left off of the 53 man, I don't think I'm too upset. I think the team is very balanced. They have uh, a lot of the key role players coming back for this coming season, and it's nice to see that there wasn't too much turnover outside of losing main piece for the D-line, which is DeForest Buckner, in my opinion. But, hey, you address that with Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, he's a little raw, but he has a lot of upside. And the idea is that he has a lot more upside as a pass rusher compared to Buckner. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of optimism going into the season. And, yeah, it'll take a little time for Kinlaw. But, again, he has a lot of upside, and there's a lot to look forward to with him. So you got Kinlaw, minimum roster turnover, my kind of upset streak with Jawan Jennings, but that's about it, man. I'm pretty happy. You know, there's a lot there to unpack, and like you said, there's not too many big snubs outside of Jawan Jennings, I guess, just because he's a recent draft pick. Fans were expecting him to at least have a roster spot to kind of to take some time to earn his spot. Um, but this team is ready to compete right now. So I guess you can make the argument that the 49ers don't really have roster spots to waste, especially in a COVID year where every single spot is so tricky. And one thing I'd like to highlight before I, I see if there's any stubs myself is that Kyle Shanahan even said, look, there's a lot of emphasis put by the media and by fans on cut day. However, he sees the active roster more like a fluid, uh, breathing, living entity that is constantly moving throughout the season. Uh, guys may be brought up from the practice squad, then back down, you know, vice versa. So it's like it's never a set roster where the 49ers are, are not going to be changing anything from now until week 17. Um, so just want to note that real quick because although they didn't make it right now, there's, you know, there's no guarantee or there's no, no you know, promise that uh, Juwan Jennings stays on the practice squad all year. There's a chance that he could be called up and he could you know even play so who knows um but the two that stood out to me other than Jawan Jennings which Anthony you just touched on was um definitely Jonathan Cyprian I thought he was going to make the roster the secondary is weak um and I don't mean that from a talent standpoint I mean it more from a depth standpoint 
I feel like they definitely could have used a guy, a veteran like Cyprian. And I think that he brought a lot to the table. And it, from all reports I read, um, he was he was balling out at, at, at camp. So I would have liked to see him make the roster. And he obviously had a change of heart because he had said previously, it's, it's you know, final roster or, or bust for me because I'm not signing with his practice squad. And then John Lynch came out saying afterwards, uh, you know, he saw a neat opportunity here and he decided that he wanted to go ahead and sign with the rock, excuse me, with the practice squad after all. So I wouldn't have, I would have liked to see him make it. And the other one, I don't want to say he's a giant snub, but I do think when the 49ers signed linebacker Joe Walker, I thought he was going to make the team. Um, I thought for sure he was going to make it over a guy like uh, Mark Nazacha because I just feel like he had more experience and you know he he was playing well you know back going back to 2017 with the Eagles um so I just feel like he could have definitely had some I don't want to say starting caliber by by far not at all but special teams and and you know reserve linebacker duties that he probably would have played well with but the 49ers obviously feel comfortable going with more with a guy like uh Nizacha, who they just have some familiarity with so for me, those would be the only two quote-unquote snubs. <laughs> um, you know, take that as you will. Um, but Anthony, my next question for you is, do you feel like they balance the depth of the roster accordingly? And are there any positions you wanted more bodies at? Looking over the 53-man roster, it's like... It's, I feel like the two main positions where depth was really needed the most was that offensive line and defensive line. And that's just for the sake of injuries, where it's like this past season then... With all due respect to Shanahan and Lynch, the entire regime has just been plagued by injuries left and right. And quite frankly, both of these position groups have faced a decent amount of injuries. And the one notable one that offensive line is um, uh, Weston Rickford. And you can't just go out there and replace a quality center like Rickford. you got to find a way to address it. And Ben Garland has filled in you know, very admirably considering that he's – been a starter in Atlanta for some time, but more or less as a backup at this point, and he's playing quality snaps, and he filled in well once again, but you still want to see Rickberg out there, and it's that kind of depth where it's like offensive linemen can honestly just go down at any time, and we saw it with someone like Joe Staley, again, we saw it with Weston Rickberg, who throughout his time with the Niners has had a pretty decent string of injury luck so far, so it's kind of that thing where you can only hope that these guys stay healthy, and Quite frankly, it's that interior of the line as a whole that kind of concerns me. Lincoln Tomlinson is solid as a run blocker, but he still has a little bit to work on with his pass protecting. Ben Garland is your below-the-line starter at the moment, and then you don't know who's going to be the starting right guard, whether it's Tom Compton or Daniel Brunskill or whoever it may be. But that interior of the line as a whole is kind of tough, and when you don't have that necessary depth to kind of keep that consistency and especially with someone like Rickford once again, where he's your main guy with Jimmy Garoppolo and you don't have that. And now you're kind of shuffling guys around on the offensive line. It's, it's tough to watch. And jumping to the other side of the ball with the defensive line, we've seen guys like D Ford, who's just has knack for injuries as well. Uh, Armstead kind of reported back stiffness. I believe he's fine now, but the point being is that when you hear your highest paid defensive end on the team, report back stiffness early on in the preseason and I get he's fine but it kind of brings in a little bit of concern to see that one of your star players is has an injury that could kind of come up and bite him at some point and then obviously Blair's not ready Nick Bosa I think had something week to week I think it was a lower body injury I don't quite remember but it's all sorts of guys that are getting injured and it's just non-stop at both position groups and you got to figure how will the depth come into play? And we saw that as a key factor for the Niners' success this past season was depth at the D-line. But then D. Ford got hurt, and then once you lose Ford, that depth kind of becomes an issue. And then they lost Blair, obviously, and then Devontae Moore got hurt. And then it's like, uh-oh. You know what I mean? And even if it was just one person like Western Rickberg who got hurt, still you want to find that consistency at the center position of all spots. And losing that just... It can make or break a team. And Ben Garland did fine, don't get me wrong. But as I've been saying through this whole rant, is that you don't want to lose a Rickberg and you don't want to have to deal with shuffling offensive linemen. So overall, I do feel like that maybe they could have slipped in one more body or two 
at the um, at either offensive line or defensive line, and I get it. The rest of the team is balanced for the most part, but you got to figure maybe they could have sacrificed a tight end spot or they could have not carried three quarterbacks, and a lot of people have been calling for Shanahan and that team to only hold two quarterbacks in Garoppolo and Mullins and let that roster spot that Bether takes up go to either the offensive line or defensive line, but I digress, man. This whole other argument. They built the team very well. Shoot, Zach, I just I just really wish that, with all due respect to Bethard, man, I wish that roster spot that he takes up would go to one of the line pieces because, let's face it, dude, you just get the feeling that injuries are going to bite them in the butt at some point, and that roster spot could be very valuable when it comes to injuries and depth. And having Bethard take up that spot, it might seem small now, but that final spot could be the difference between another quality player being on the team versus Beathard, who won't even play a snap this season. Yeah, the whole fact that they still keep Beathard on the roster, it's, I don't want to say it's weird, but it's just, it's really kind of like, it makes you think like, what is going on there? They obviously love what they have with Nick Mullins because if Jimmy, God forbid, were to go down with an injury, Nick Mullins would go in, not Beathard. So, I don't understand the need to keep three quarterbacks. And uh, we talked about this on our YouTube show, Niners News. And we were saying that, you know, maybe this year it's going to be more of a normal thing. Uh, With COVID, teams may have three quarterbacks. Maybe. But the 49ers have done it now. You know, this is going to be two years in a row. And it's kind of like, why? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me. That's like, you know, the same case with Juwan Jennings. That's a much needed roster spot that could go to a guy that can contribute. Uh, CJ Beathard may, might not, probably won't even suit up on Sunday. So that I don't really understand. Um, but as far as, uh, excuse me, uh, positions that were a little weak, I, I agree with you. But I would say offensive line and secondary. Um, and I do think that the 49ers, they've kind of neglected the position for a couple of years now. Um, aside from, you know, Akello and Jason Verrett, and they've yet to name a starter outside of uh, Sherman, opposite of Sherman, I should say. So it's going to be interesting how that shapes out because their secondary is very, very top heavy. And once you get below that, there's not too many options. Um, and, you know, speaking of surprise cuts from, from the first question, I should have also said Jamar Taylor because all reports were that he was balling out pretty well as much too um, at 49ers camp and he did not make the final roster. So it's just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, they obviously feel the same way with their secondary because one of the four players that the 49ers were allowed to protect on their 16 man practice squad was Dante Johnson, who's very familiar. He's been with the 49ers on and off for years. Um, and they used one of the four spots on him that he is protected no other team can come and sign them off the 49ers practice squad. So they obviously feel the same way, at least somewhat. So I don't know. I just feel like they have to address the secondary um, or else I really hope it doesn't come back to bite them in the butt uh, later on down the year. Um, now, Anthony, who was a surprise player for you that actually made the well, roster? Insert stock answer of CJ Beathard here, because quite frankly, I'm still kind of griping about that C.J. Beathard roster spot, man. I'm telling you, these injuries are going to stack up at some point, like they already are, and his spot could go, like you said, to a guy like Juwan Jennings, or even Jonathan Cyprian, who, quite frankly, had a really good camp from all reports, and yet is on a practice squad, something that he didn't want to do, but hey, I, I guess he wanted to do it, but nonetheless, man, it seems like that he deserves a spot as well. But as for guys who I'm surprised made the roster... Man, we talked about it on the pod or the pod before, and I know Shanahan is really engrossed with Tevin Coleman, but for the sake of salary cap, I just, I don't know, dude. Something about Tevin Coleman, he's going to make me mark my words and have a fantastic start to the season, and and watch, it's going to happen. But yeah, I figured that was rolling over salary cap space and the limited amount going into next season, man, the Niners are going to need every dollar that they can get. But at the end of the day, if Tevin Coleman contributes very well and he's half the reason the team makes it to the playoffs once again, then shoot, we might as well delete this podcast entirely because I, I, I'm going to want to forget what I just said. But overall, 
you know, that toss-up between Mark Nazacha and Joe Walker, like you brought up earlier, too, I thought was a pretty good one. Nazacha obviously brings very good special teams experience at his position, and he's a pretty decent linebacker. But you also have a guy like Joe Walker, who also was a very good special teams contributor with Arizona, and quite frankly, was a solid backup, and he even got some starting snaps there in Arizona as well. So I think that's one of those like toss-ups that can go both ways either way, but at the end of the day, I think you have to roll with the guy who's been in the system longer and who has just been with the team longer playing them forward. So congrats to Nazacha, but I feel like we may not see the end of Joe Walker. Who knows? We might see Joe Walker come back with uh, Warner. Who knows what's going to happen with Warner? Walker might take that roster spot, but and obviously, this whole COVID thing going on is just a big toss-up, so you never know what could happen. But thinking about it right now, I I think the team, they didn't really surprise me too much. Maybe, um, who's the, I think Ross Dwelly made the 53, right? He, he made the 53, didn't he? I think either Ross Dwelly or Chase Harrell was kind of another one, too, where it's like, Chase Harrell has all the great tangibles that it takes to be a really solid tight end in his offense. Like He has the athleticism that reminds me of Kittle and even Jordan Reed quite a bit, but I think you have to give the edge to Ross, Ross Dwelly just because of system fit and experience and just being around the team longer. So overall, man, not too surprised. Kind of curious as to what you think about it, but again, the team brought back a lot of the players from last season, and you weren't really going to expect too many new faces albeit a couple of guys you kind of wished made the 53 more than others. You know, I am stunned you came after my dude, Ross Dwelly. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ross Dwelly. I feel like he came up huge in situations for the 49ers last season. Um, I, I, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a little petty. I'm going to say your boy, Jeff Wilson. I'm surprised he made the roster. Um, and, and going back to our first question again, another guy who got cut that was surprising was Jermichael Hasty. I know a lot of fans were excited to see what he could do. A lot of people were saying he's he's going to be this year's Matt Breida. You know, he's an undrafted free agent. He's going to come in. He's going to kill it. And he didn't make the final roster. So I honestly thought a guy like Jeff Wilson could have had a tough time making the roster um, over maybe a younger, cheaper guy that the 49ers could have had in hasty. So that's something to also note. Um, but I was also a, a bit of a shocking, uh, 53 man roster. I got who made the 53 monster, excuse me. I would say was Charlie Warner. Um, now the 49ers, they, they carried four tight ends last year, but I just feel like there wasn't much in camp that he showed. And I think this might've been a little bit of his draft selection and he wasn't drafted that high at all but coming into play here. And I think the 49ers uh, knew that they were going to keep him pretty much no matter what, but he's pretty much a uh, block first tight end. Um, and maybe, you know, George Kittle and Jordan Reed can help him develop his game into more of a balanced tight end. But I, that's a guy who surprised me. And then also another rookie was Colton McKivitz. And he surprised me in a great way because everything I heard from camp was McKivitz was balling out. He was holding his own against guys like Jav- uh, Javon Kinlaw, and that's you know that's no easy feat. So I'm excited to see what the 49ers have in McKivitz because if they find another you know gem later on in the rounds of the draft, then this regime is doing fantastic when it comes to drafting. Uh, you know what I got to sneak in too, man. So I'm super I, stoked. What I got to sneak in Go too ahead. is that looking at the 53 one more time, Demetrius Flanagan fouls. That, that's another guy who flew under the radar entirely that made the 53-man, too. And it's like, you know, I know he was on a practice squad last season, but this guy just kind of came out of nowhere. And, again, the report said he had a very good camp, and he's kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid who can kind of do it all. So I won't be surprised if he's a special teamer, at least to start with. But, yeah, dude, it seems like that there's a lot of guys on this team that, you know, we kind of had a feeling would fly under the radar, but like Flanny and Fowles, Colton Kivitz, uh, even Charlie Warner. It's like, man, these guys, you know, it, it's weird. The roster is so similar, and yet at the same time, these guys are surprising us. Yeah, dude, that, those, those are great, great names as well because uh, they're guys that probably kept on due to familiarity and lack of time in, in training camp 
to replace them with maybe younger, cheaper options. But I still do think the 49ers like what they have in their uh, young linebacking core because last year they proved pretty, pretty uh, formidable against just about any opponent. Even when Quan went down, you saw younger guys stepping up and they had no issue doing so. Um, and, you know, that leads to our next question, Anthony, is obviously we've been talking about this whole time. This year's 53-man roster is very similar to last year. How much does this play into the team's I think favor? when you can address um, familiarity, if you will, and bring back almost every guy and have that chemistry that worked out really well last season, it goes a long way for team success. And I'm going to jump into a different sport, but when you look at the team like the Toronto Raptors, who albeit are down to Boston 3-2, to I think, in the playoffs, they really only lost Kawhi Leonard, but you look at how they're playing now, and that chemistry of all those guys who came back is paying off for them. And they are playing very well. Who, Quite frankly, after losing Kawhi Leonard, a lot of people kind of wrote them off. But here they are back in the playoffs and only a couple of games away. So I think you can take that concept with the Niners where it's like in basketball you bring almost the same five guys back. But football, to bring back the same you know, 11, 12 starters on both sides of the ball, which you know, obviously is 23, 24 people, that is incredible. And we already see, just based off social media alone, and again reports, that the chemistry between this team is very tight. These guys are like family, and they just have a lot of unbreakable bonds that, quite frankly, you don't really hear about in the NFL all that often. And you see guys like Leonard Fournette, who was saying, I finally get to play with a real quarterback after leaving Jacksonville. It's like, damn, screw Minshew Mania. Or even when Jalen Ramsey left, it's like, finally I get to go to a team that appreciates me. It's those kind of things that you see from kind of, I guess, cancerous organizations, if you will, that really just destroy a team. And you don't hear about that when it comes to the Niners at all. And it really makes you look at chemistry, how effective how effective it is, not just for winning games and playing well in football, but being an attractive free agent destination, helping guys sign contracts that might be more team-friendly. And that type of chemistry can just go a long way for team building and retaining players and just overall team success that goes above and beyond winning. It goes it goes towards respect and responsibility and guys who who just can take that big boy step and look at it from a team perspective and not just a, a me perspective. So overall, man, it excites me a lot that they're bringing back a lot of familiar faces. And I think it excites me even more that a lot of the rookies and even a couple of the new faces in particular are just getting along with everyone very well, like Trent Williams, where it's like Trent Williams is just loved by everyone. And you have that kind of success and you have that kind of, uh, again, chemistry with the team. It goes a long way for retaining players and just overall happiness. And that's probably one of the biggest priorities when it comes to owning an NFL team and maintaining an NFL team is simply happiness. Yeah, that's a huge point because – a lot of it is, you know, guys feeling comfortable in their environment and being able to come in every day and know what to expect. Because if you're going into in a hostile situation or somewhere where, you know, you're not sure if your coach is going to stay around another year, uh, if, if the GM is going to stay around another year, if they may trade you, whatever the case may be. I mean, look at Jacksonville. That just got totally blown up. And I can't imagine any of the rookies that got drafted this year going in there. They're facing so much uncertainty. And they're just kind of thinking like, look, I'm just trying to ball out, get as much tape as I can on myself so I can get the hell out of here and go to a more stable franchise. And from a guy who watched the 49ers with, you know, Mike Nolan and, you know, uh, Mike Singletary, even Jim Tom Sula, Chip Kelly, it's like the fact that the 49ers have become so quickly the face of you know the new face of stability I should say in the NFL it's so pleasing because they've been through so much turmoil in you know the recent past that it's really really good to see them finally get the resolve and the salvation that they needed and you know who would have thought it came in a TV press uh, color commentator and a young offensive coordinator and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. So they're the perfect duo to kind of turn this franchise around. And they've done a fantastic job at it so far. Um, but but going back to the original question of how much does 
the familiar roster benefit the 49ers? It benefits them a ton, a ton, because we've I've said this in multiple podcasts, multiple videos. When a team goes to the Super Bowl, regardless of if they win it or not, the next year they get poached. Their coaches get stolen. Their players get signed away or traded for. Um, and, and they're almost a different team come the next uh, week one following you know that offseason. So this team, we can literally say two pieces are different. Emmanuel Sanders is gone and DeForest Buckner is gone. Other than that, it's pretty much the same exact team. And, and that's really hard to say for a team that just came off of a Super Bowl loss and, you know, five and a half, six minutes away from a Super Bowl win. Um, so it's really going to play into their hands. And I think the 49ers lucked out because this almost never happens. They lost a couple of, you know, uh, positional coaches. Joe Woods, I believe, went to Cleveland, stuff like that. But for the most part, this team is intact and the players know what to expect. The coaches know what to expect from their players and they're setting the expectations daily. Um, and on top of all of that, COVID is here. Everybody's kind of uneasy. Everybody's unsure. Um, so going into a situation that you're familiar with and that you know is stable and safe, you you couldn't ask for a more key scenario because the 49ers the players got to be feeling comfortable and, and, you know, they're, they're not kind of BSing their family when they're saying, no, nah, it's all good. You know, my, my team's taking care of me. I think they actually mean it in this case when they're saying, you know, they're to their wives that night, look, honey, it's all good. The team's got precautions in place. They got COVID, uh, you know, testing, whatever the case may be. Um, so I think it's huge. I really do think it's huge. Um, but Anthony, we're going to be moving into our RGS mailbag and we only have two questions tonight. And the first one I have for you, Anthony, is from Ash on Twitter. And he said, do you expect the 49ers and John Lynch to make any midseason trades like they did last year with Emmanuel I Sanders? Think the door is wide open to address any type of position of need. COVID is eventually going to take its toll. Or I, I feel like it will. God forbid it does or it doesn't. But nonetheless, man. We don't know what's going to happen with COVID once these guys actually step out on the field and really play games. And we'll see how the testing goes and whatnot. But again, for the Niners, the door is wide open. Wide receiver injuries could take a toll. They could address and go after someone like Allen Robinson. Um, maybe Charlie Warner and um, Ross Dwelly and Jordan Reed don't work out and they want another running mate alongside George Kittle. They could go after a guy like uh, O.J. Howard or David Njoku, who were reportedly on the block this past offseason. Again, they could go after all types of guys in any position if they really wanted to, because quite frankly, we don't even know what to expect from this coming NFL draft. There's not going to be that many college football games, apparently. Who knows if they're going to get games off to begin with. Right now, I think they'd be in, like, what, week three or week four of the college season? Uh, at least I think. I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the timing of college football, but the point being is that we don't know what we're going to get out of college athletes and we don't know how teams are going to take draft. And I think that makes draft picks way more expendable, if you will, where it's like, here you have a first round pick, say the Niners are, okay, say the Niners picking 32 and they, they want to stay at that position. They don't know if the guy they're drafting is really first round talent because he didn't play football or the guy they're going to get is, you know, fifth, sixth round talent. And I get it that this team can kind of turn any player into a star. But the point being is that their scouts and their personnel don't really have much to go off of unless they're scouting people from the season prior. And it's not ideal to use old film on someone who has has changed quite a bit over a year. And I think teams might take the approach where it's like, if we feel like we're contending, especially with the extended playoffs, that the door will be open to go after players who don't want to be in their position, like someone like Allen Robinson, who may not be, who may not want to be with Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. So if the Niners see it that way, where they don't really value the draft picks that high, I think they could use those as really good assets to go after players who only have a year left on their contract or someone who they think they have the chance of resigning and whatever it may be. So, yeah, I don't know who would be. My best guess at the moment is if the wide receivers don't work out right away, Allen Robinson, definitely Allen Robinson, or 
even Alshon Jeffrey if things don't work out in Philly, dude. So I don't know what position. I think wide receiver. But overall, I think we definitely will see them acquire someone before the trade deadline. Wow, wide receiver, really? Um, that that That's interesting because I think the 49ers are pretty comfortable with where they are at wide receiver. But, I, I mean, I could still see it because I think that they have some young guys that are unproven and they're more likely trying to get another veteran. But at the same time, who knows? Uh, I spoke when I spoke with Grant Cohn of Sports Illustrated. He was saying that it's possible that the acquisition of Emmanuel Sanders actually hurt the 49ers wide receivers more than it helped them. Just something to think about. Um, for me, I think that they would make a trade, a midseason trade. Um, you know, I, I I would say that they would probably add a corner. Um, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of a corner who, who might be on the trade block. Um, maybe a guy like possibly uh, Darius Slay. I'm, I'm not sure how he might fit in with the system. But I'm just thinking of him off the top of my head. And then also, if they wanted to really, really go all out, I would say call up the Giants and say, what do you want for Evan Ingram? Would you take Jordan Reed? and a fifth or sixth round pick or whatever the case may be um because i would say evan ingram could just be like a younger healthier version of jordan reed and whatever he's done in new york it's obviously not working whatever they're coaching him up to do is obviously not working so i think the 49ers of kyle shannon got his hands on a guy like evan ingram imagine george kittle and evan ingram together anthony that would just be a lethal duo at tight end and I really think the 49ers could wreak havoc in the NFL with those two just completely demolishing the center of the field and opposing defenses for, you know, a couple of years to come. But that's just something cool to think about. Um, and our second question comes from uh, Lamborghini Lameteer on Instagram, and he wants to know what you think the 49ers starting offense for week one will be. Starting offense for week one. All right, if we're going offensive line, obviously Trent Williams, left, right. Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, Ben Garland. I don't know if they're going to trust Colton McKivitz right away. I think that the Arizona Cardinals' interior defensive line is not as formidable as we think. So it could be a good starting point for McKivitz, but I know they like Brunskill a lot. So I think I'm going to give the edge to Brunskill. And then that leaves Mike McGlinchey. Split tight end sets. we got George Kittle and Jordan Reed. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think, I think. So I, I was kind of like, I was kind of going through this in my head today. I was thinking like, man, how are they going to handle the running back, you know, the carries? I think we could see like Raheem Mostert can be that. I think Raheem Mostert's three down back, but because of Jerick McKinnon, that's going to muddy things up entirely. So with that being said, I still think Raheem Mostert's your starting running back. I think he will get a lot more carries and a lot of carries that he deserved after last season. So we'll go Raheem Mostert. I think Tevin Coleman will still kind of remain as the go-to guy in goal line situations unless his confidence isn't there, quite frankly, and they roll back Raheem Mostert. And then that leaves Jarek McKinnon, who I think is going to vulture some third-down snaps from Raheem Mostert. But I don't think McKinnon is going to get too many snaps. I think for the game, he'll get like... 10 to 15, and that might even be a generous amount for Jet, who hasn't played in two seasons. So I got to give the edge to him, and that leaves Jeff Wilson, who I think will probably start inactive. But you know me, man. I want Jeff Wilson to play it, but I don't think they're going to use that 47 spot in the 46 spot on the fourth running back. And with that being said, though, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, and then the wide receivers, I'm going to assume Debo. I'm going to think Debo's going to miss the first game. Or he's just going to suit up and not play. So I'm going to, and I'm also going to assume Ayuk is going to play. So I'm going to roll with Ayuk, Ayuk, Dante Pettis, and Kendrick Bourne. I think those are your three go to guys right now. I think Trent Taylor will be used situationally. Richie James is obviously the return specialist. And you kind of have to roll it from there. We'll see what happens with Debo, but I'm thinking Debo's not going to play. So I. I think that's it, Zach. I think the wide receiver room out of the starting offense is going to be the biggest toss-up. But this is kind of all speaking on hypotheticals that Debo doesn't play. 
So that I think that's that's where I stand with the offense. You know, I, I pretty much agree with you on everything, but the wide receivers, I don't think Debo plays. Um, I think even if he gets a clean bill of health, the 49ers should keep him out week one. There's no reason to rush him back. Um, and I don't think Ayuk gets the nod. And where I mainly disagree with you, Anthony, is Trent Taylor. I think the he's going to be the 49ers' number one target this year until somebody else comes and takes it from him. We've heard year after year in camp, he's looking fantastic. He's the best wide receiver the 49ers have. Uh, he's catching everything. He's a he's a you know man amongst boys. I think Trent Taylor is going to be their wide receiver number one. And when Debo comes back, they may be fighting for that lead share of targets. Uh, but but the starting receivers for me, I would go Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, and I think Dante. And, and I think to start off, Ayuk might be used situationally. And until he gets fully healthy and until he gets a full grasp of the playbook, he's not going to be getting the you know main share of, of snaps out there. I think Kyle Shanahan's going to be more likely to go with veterans and it's crazy to think that Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis or are and Kendrick Bourne are veterans but that's pretty much what they are at this point um but yeah I think that's uh that's pretty much all where we differ on the starting lineup for the offense um let us know what you guys think I want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Red Gold Standard podcast if you guys want to show support do us a huge solid and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you guys are listening to us on Uh, We really appreciate you guys tuning in. And we are so stoked now that the 49ers football season is finally here. We will be able to bring you guys back the previews and the reviews and take you a lot more mailbag questions. Uh, That's going to do it for us today, though, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernandez. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. Anthony, go ahead and close this out and let the folks know where to find you. Thanks for listening, guys. Zach, I am so excited that we finally get some Niners football and we finally get some real juicy information to talk about with that being said though my man Perry underscore 49ers that's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S look out throughout the week before the Cardinals game you guys we got our preview episode coming up and again dude I'm so excited so I'm already counting down the days not just for the Niners game but just for a preview episode dude we get to preview some Niners football it is about damn time (laughs) that's right thanks for tuning in guys take care